All right, friends, so welcome to Torah Studies. This week's Torah portion is Vayetze, and we have just a, an absolutely action-packed Torah portion. So here's what I want to speak about. Um, yeah, here we go. Whose book is that? Someone's book? I don't know. How'd that get here? That's actually this, uh, the current book. Okay, so that's this, the topic that we're going to um, focus on is how to be an influencer. How to be an influencer. As we're going to see, there is an incredible story that happens in this week's Torah portion between Yaakov Jacob and his uncle. His uncle, who knows what his uncle's name was? Who was Yaakov, Jacob's uncle's name? What was his name? Begins with an L. Who's got it? Laban. Laban. Good, Laban, a.k.a. Lavan. Good, Laban. So Laban was Jacob's uncle. He was also, plot twist, his father-in-law. It's very complicated. What, you know what they say? What happens in Haran stays in Haran. Just saying. Huh? His uncle, huh? Till it gets, right, till it gets into the Bible, then it doesn't stay in Haran anymore. Anyway, right, good point. That kind of blows it up over there. So Yaakov married his uncle's daughter, which makes the uncle also the father-in-law, which means he married his cousin. Right? He married his cousin. He married his, okay, very simple. He married his mother's brother's daughter, his cousin. All right, fine. Anyway, there's an interesting, there's a compelling story (laughs) at the end of the Torah portion. After years, oh, Mark, is that your book? Yeah, it is. Nice. I didn't know you had a book. Look at you. Unbelievable. Mark, we usually see you, we usually see you driving. Yeah, I know. I know, right? I'm not booked in either. You know? All right. Honestly, if you pulled into the, to the show here with a car, that would be like next level. Just pull in. Mark is still driving in the class. Okay. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. So um, Yaakov lives. Uh, okay. I'm going to give you the very short version of this Torah portion. You ready? Yaakov gets into uh, a fight with his brother, because he took his brother's blessings. You know how that works, right? Yeah, you take the blessings by dressing up as your brother. There may be a bit of a rumble that happens later. So Esau, Esau, the older brother, the older twin, wants to rumble with Yaakov and kill him. Okay, so Yaakov has to get out of Dodge, and so he goes to Haran. And in Haran, two things happen. Number one, he escapes the wrath of his brother, which is good. And number two, he gets married. Not once, but twice. He ends up having kids from four women. It's complicated. There's a, there's a lot of... Four? There's a lot... Four. Different ones? Four, yes. Whoa. So Rachel and Leah, the two wives, the two, the two sisters. No, but each one had a maidservant. Rachel had Bilhah, Leah had Zilpah. And so like Avram and Hagar, right? Like Sarah and Hagar, yeah, they... So he had children from all four. So here's the breakdown. He had it, wasn't, th- it wasn't not tonight, I have a headache. It's not tonight, uh, I, I have a handmaid. Uh, all right, all right, yeah, exactly. So here's the deal. Mark, Mark, I, when, you're in, when you're in the car, I can keep you mute, muted. But in person, I don't know. I don't know. There's no button. There's no button. There's a button that opens up the floor underneath. All right, anyway. All right, good. However, it's going to be Lebedek here. All right, so, which means, friends, it's going to be, it's going to be lively tonight. So, look. I just, 
Could I just ask a question? Where is Haran? Haran is in in Mesopotamia. In fact, there is a there is a city today that's called Haran. I think it might be in Turkey area, in the area of Turkey, perhaps. Um, that has yeah, that's uh, that's that's that area. Anyway, it's basically east. It's east of Israel. So Yaakov leaves. Israel, he goes east to Haran. Haran is where Avram's family is from. It's where his mother's family is from. Anyway, he gets married to Rachel. He gets married to Leah. He marries two sisters. He has children. In this week's Torah portion, he has 11 sons and a daughter. Um, it's, the story is compressed. It all fits into this week's Torah portion. After 20 years, I'm giving you the, 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 short, the, the short version of this Torah portion. After 20 years, Yaakov decides it's time to go. It's time to go. So he leaves. And what happens when he leaves is that creates a big rumble where his uncle slash father-in-law, Lavan or Laban, wants to stop him from leaving or chases, more precisely, chases him down after he leaves in the middle of the night and says, how dare you? There's a confrontation and there's an interesting resolution to the confrontation. In the resolution, we find something remarkable and that is that somehow, some way, Yaakov Jacob has influenced his uncle, his father-in-law, who wasn't, the, who wasn't the most honest of characters. He was a bit of a shady guy. He was a bit of a, of a, of a hustler, this guy. He was the guy, yeah, he was a scam artist. He gave Yaakov a different wife. Yaakov wanted to marry Rachel. He gave him Leah. Yeah, the whole switcher. Yeah, it's the whole switcheroo. So, and Lavan changed the whole, the whole, the classic switcheroo. So look, here's the deal. Um, he knew it, yeah, listen, he was, he, was, he was a guy, yeah. Look, so here's the point. The point is that at the end of the story, at the end of the Torah portion, we see that Yaakov has influenced Lavan. And the question is, how do you influence a guy like that? And that's going to be the focus of today's class. How do you influence the Lavans of the world? How do you influence those that don't have perhaps the best intentions? Nonetheless, they can walk away inspired from us. How do we do that? How do we become an influencer, a real influencer, a Jewish influencer, a light influencer, a, a morality influencer, a Torah influencer? How does that happen? So that's going to be the, the focus. That's going to be the direction that we're headed. To understand this, we're going to start all the way back at the beginning of the Torah portion and the opening verse. So let's read this together. Let's read the opening verse of the Torah portion together. I'm going to pull up uh, the text on the screen. Give me a moment here while I do that. Um, in your booklets, it's on page 88 on the screen. It is also page 88 for that matter. I'm going to share the screen right now and let's jump into text number one. Um, here we go. This is the opening port, the opening verse. Vayetze, the portion is Vayetze, the first Hebrew word is Vayetze. It says, Vayetze Yaakov and Jacob left Be'ersheva and he went to Haran. So he leaves Be'er Sheva, he went to Haran. So where's Be'er Sheva? Be'er Sheva is in southern Israel. In Hebrew, it's Harna. It's Harana, means to Haran. Oh, the the hey at the end is a suffix that means to. Oh, Something can mean to, yeah. So Harana means to Haran. Harana is to Haran. So where's Be'er Sheva though? Be'er Sheva is in southern Israel. And he leaves, uh, he leaves Israel, he goes to Haran. Now the question is, why does he leave Haran? Why does he leave Be'er Sheva? Why does he go to Haran? Well, I already answered the question. I told you before, because his brother wanted to kill him. And he also, he needed to, he also, it was time for him to get married. And so he went 
to the mishpacha, to the family, because the Canaanite girls, as we know, they were idolaters, they were pagan worshipers, they weren't for a good Jewish boy like, uh, like Yaakov. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, so basically what's going on is he's going back to the, to the mishpacha, back to the family, back to the old country to find a wife. So again, two reasons why he leaves. Why he leaves Beresheva. One is for safety and one is for family, to get married. However, what we see here is that in the etymology, we see something fascinating. Take a look at text number two. Text number two comes from Rashi. This is actually Rashi, um, Rashi in a different verse on, in the book of Genesis, way earlier, chapter 11 of Genesis. We're in chapter 28 in this week's Torah portion. This is going back 17 chapters. Rashi drops a very interesting, very interesting commentary. Rashi explains that the, the word Haran, the, sorry, the city Haran, actually hints to its character, to its moral character. And Rashi says, what does Haran mean? What, what is Haran? It refers to Haron af shamakom. It refers to the fierce, the fierce anger of God in the world. In other words, Haran, which is a city, is related to the phrase Haron af, which means anger or burning anger or fierce anger. When somebody's not just upset, but burning mad, like really angry, we call that Haron af. That's like burning anger. So why is it called Haran? Rashi says earlier in Genesis. Why is it called Haran? To indicate that this place was a place that angered God. In other words, it wasn't the most righteous place. It wasn't a little Jerusalem. It wasn't a little uh, Tzfat, right? It was, it was a bad, it, it wasn't a nice place. Now, you might wonder, so one second. So Yaakov has to go to Haran to find a girl. If, if, if everyone there is evil and wicked and angering God, God is angry because of this place, Haran. That's why it's called Haran, Haran Af. God is angry with this place. If that's the... Right, again, the fierce anger of God in the world. Where is the place that God is angry with? It's called Haran. So why is he going there to find the wife? Are you with me on my question? Yeah. He has to leave. Right. So oh. the answer is, so, so the answer is, because um, although Haran was not a good place, the family was the family. In other words, this was still his mishpacha. This was where Avram, Abraham came from and where Isaac's wife, Rebecca, came from and, and the, in other words, Yitzchak's mother came from and this was the family. And there was a long-standing tradition that the patriarchs should marry a girl from that place and ultimately from, from that family. So although the place wasn't so, wasn't so kosher, but the girls certainly were. The girls certainly were. Rachel and Leah, they were certainly righteous and uh, righteous, righteous women. Um, why not marry a girl from Canaan, from Canaan, where he was in Beersheba? Because there was, there was no one of, 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 of the caliber that he should marry there. So that's why he goes. So again, so hold on one second. So let me just round out this, this very simple point. Right? So a very simple point. So why does he leave Beersheba to go to Haran? Number one, to escape the anger of his brother, to escape the wrath of his brother, and number two, to get married. And now I'm pointing out that what, what is the nature of Haran, although that's where he was going to get married, nonetheless, it's a place that angers God. It's a place that has unholy, unholy behavior. Yeah. If it were such a poor place, then why did Abraham settle there? Why did Abraham settle where? In Beersheba? Quran. No. Hold on. I no, Avram came. Avram came from from that part of the world. He came from yeah. He came from he came from Padan Aram, and then he was traveling toward Israel or Canaan. He stopped in Haran in that area. I thought you said that's where his father settled. 
That's where his father, yeah, no, no, they were on the way to Israel. They, they said, they stopped over there. His father, I think, passed away and he got stuck there, whatever it was. And then that's when God said, Lech Lecha, God said, continue the journey that you had stopped. But anyway, his family, they, they settled there. And that's why the family is still in Haran, because they had moved to Haran. And then, um, and then kind of got stuck there. And then Abraham was told Lech Lecha to go continue the journey. So now they're going back. Right, he's going back to the family to find a wife. So, Haran was on the way. It's in between where he originally was and exactly. Now, so what we see here is that Haran is not a good place. It's a Haran Af. It's a place of, of divine anger. Fine. Which begs the question. Let me actually stop sharing for a moment so I can see everybody. Which begs the question. Um, on a spiritual level, why is, why is uh, Yaakov leaving the Holy Land and going to a place of Haran, going to a place of... Um, of divine anger. And again, it sounds like we're talking in riddles and talking in contradictions. On the one hand, we're saying the girls are no good in, in, in Canaan, so you have to go to Haran. And on the other hand, we're saying Haran is terrible and Israel is good. So like, what's going on here? So let me just break it down very simply. There's two issues. One is the spiritual quality of the place. And number two is eligible girls to marry. Right? There's two different issues. So on a level of eligibility, eligible girls, there were no eligible girls in, in Canaan. He had to go over there back to the old country. Fine, back to, back to Haran, to get married from the family, from, from his mother's family. That's, so that's a technicality. But this, this spiritual caliber, we have the Holy Land, Beersheba and the Holy Land, Israel, the future land of Israel, versus Haran, a place of divine anger, it seems like a very stark, a very sharp downgrade from holiness, from a space of holiness, to a place of abject depravity. So what's, what's going on? Why is Jacob, why is Yaakov leaving one to go to the other? And the answer is, what do you mean? Why? Because he had to escape his brother and he had to get married. We already answered this question a bunch of times. I know this, but on a deeper spiritual level, what's the significance of Jacob leaving a, spiritual, a spiritually beautiful place and going to a, spirit, a, a spiritually desolate place? What's the significance of that? So for this, we have a beautiful verse from Isaiah, text number three. And in fact, it's one of these verses that we recite every Simchat Torah, when we take out the Torahs and we dance with them by the Hakafot, this is part of the Atahareses, the verses that we say before we dance with the Torah. Let me share this with you. We also say it every time we take out the Torah. Um, okay, text number three. We usually pronounce it on Simchat Torah. Ki Torah, Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim. We say, for from Zion the Torah will come forth and the word of God from Jerusalem. What that means is, that the whole point of Torah is not that it should stay put in one place, but it should go forth. Right? Look what it says. From Zion, the Torah will come forth. And the word of God should come forth from Jerusalem. In other words, it's not enough. It's not good enough to stay localized in Zion, in Jerusalem. It's not enough for Torah to remain where it is, in an, in an inner place, inside the tent, so to speak. Torah has to, and this is a theme we've talked about so many times, Torah has to be... Made to travel. Have Torah, will travel. Torah is meant to influence. Torah is meant to expand beyond its initial borders. So, and on this level, why does Jacob go from the Holy Land to Haran, which I'm going to call tonight the unholy land? Why does he travel from Holy Land to unholy land? Simple. To take the inspiration of Torah, to take the inspiration of Yiddishkeit, and move it around, take it out into a foreign environment, into a place like Haran, that otherwise is a place of divine anger. You know what this is like? Yeah. I can wait. Okay, let me just give an example. You know what this is like? Again, what, what are we saying? We're saying that Jacob 
on a spiritual level, is leaving the Holy Land to the unholy land to influence the unholy land, to take the light there as well. You know what it's like? The journey of the soul. Think about the journey of the soul. I mean, we're talking about yard sites and souls, right? What's the journey of the soul down into a body? You have an neshama. You have a soul. Pure soul. A pure... Pe- the, the language in Tanya, in the book of Tanya, is a, chela, a soul is a chelak alokah mimam mamash. Literal, a literal piece of God. Literal piece of God. Now, so one second. So we took God and we chopped him up. No, it's not. There's a story in the Talmud. One of the Roman uh, aristocracy asked one of, the, one, one of the rabbis, what's the deal? How is a soul a piece of God? What does that even mean? How many gods are there that there's so many pieces? So the rabbi answered this uh, Roman aristocrat, said, uh, when, when it's sunny outside, does the light shine through, does the sunlight shine through your window? Yeah. Does it shine through your neighbor's window? Yeah. Does it shine through my window? Yeah. How many suns are there? It's one sun, right? One sun, but it shines in different spaces. The same thing is true with God. One God, right? But the soul, everyone has a piece of the sun, a piece, not the literal sun, a piece of God inside of us. So what happens? What happens? The soul begins above in the spiritual realms. And then in Be'er Sheva, in Be'er Sheva, in Israel, I don't mean this literally, I mean in, 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 the, in a holy space. And then what happens? It goes down to Charon. It goes down to this world. It goes down to a place of imperfection, a place of flaw, a place of coldness and darkness, a place that is sometimes messy and sometimes ugly. And the soul, the pure and perfect and bright and warm and loving and innocent and naive in a good way soul is taken from her perfect and pure and innocent perch and sent down into this corrupt environment. It's like Jacob. Pure Jacob, leaving Be'er Sheva, leaving the Holy Land and going where? To Charon, to deal with the lovens of the world. Are you kidding me? This is what he needs to deal with in life. He leaves the tents of Torah. He leaves the tent of Torah to go to Charon. This is what, this, he lost something there. I mean, he, he, but this is the journey. What's the journey? The journey is, taking Torah out. It's about taking the light, taking the inspiration out. So it's taking the soul out of the holy realm, out of the holy space, out of heaven, and bring it down into this world. Why? Not to torture the soul, God forbid. It's not about the soul. It's about the environment that's going to benefit from the soul being there. Does that make sense? When you think about it in the context of the soul, it's a downgrade. When you think about it in the context of the environment that the soul is going to help, it's a mission. It's a shlichut. It's a mission. But yes. you said earlier that Haran was filled with Goyim, right? They're non-Jews. The whole world was filled with, 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 with people, with pagans. Yeah, for sure. But I thought, but we Jews aren't supposed to be spreading. Oh, now you're asking a good question. So was Jacob trying to convert everyone to Judaism? No. No, he was, sp- good question, excellent question. Linda's asking, so what was, what are we talking about? Sharing Torah with everyone? Are we talking about uh, proselytizing and converting everyone to Judaism? No, yeah. the answer, great question. The answer is no. The objective really is, the objective is to spread the universal values of Torah, to spread oh. those values that pertain to everyone. Okay. Like we would call, for example, the seven Noahide laws, the seven laws for all mankind. You know, like that denim company, Seven for All Mankind? Yeah, yeah that's where it comes from. So, so a light unto the nations, right? As Yaakov just wrote in the comments, a light unto the nations, 
Right? That's what we're talking about here. So again, just to, just to, just to just make sure we're all on the same page here. Yaakov, Jacob, leaves his homeland. He leaves the Holy Land, and he goes to Haran. Now, on the surface, it's for safety, for marriage. We get it. But spiritually, he's going down. It's a downgrade. What's up with that? The answer is, yeah, it's like the soul. The soul also has a downgrade when it comes into, into the body, into this world. It's a downgrade. What's the point of the downgrade? To torture the soul. To punish us? God forbid, of course not. The point is to light up this world. You have a cold, dark world, and the goal is you send the soul down, make it warmer, make it brighter. That's the purpose. That's why we're here. Every one of us is here to make the world a brighter place. This journey is symbolized in the journey of Yaakov, the journey of Jacob. He left home. He left Israel. He left the Holy Land, went to Haran, and his mission is to be an influencer, to light up the world. So again, just to be very clear, to be very clear, the, the, the theme of the class tonight is influence. It's about how do we influence? How do we influence? And we're now, we're now setting this up that the name of the Torah portion, Vayetze, and he left. Why did he leave? So there's the, the, the cover story on the ground. He had a safety a marriage. But the real story is he left so that he can influence another place. He left his comfort zone. He left the cocoon. He left the spiritual environment. He left his father's home so that he can carry the light, carry the warmth, carry the message, whatever message that is precisely, but carry a message outward, even to a place called Charan. And this is symbolized in the verse that we had before, Ki Torah. From, from Zion, Torah will go out, and the word of God will leave Jerusalem. In other words, it's not enough to stay isolated. You have to take the message and spread it outward, which means on a very simple level, and I'm not wrapping up the class. Don't worry, we have so much to get to tonight. But it means like you're inspired from a class. You walk, out of the, you walk out of this room, you walk out of the Zoom, right? What do you do with it, right? What do you do with it? You, take, you leave it with you, you take it with you, right? Do you leave it where it was? All right, I got inspired, good. All right, now it's time to, uh, to watch some Conan, if Conan is still on, right? Maybe I'm, da- maybe I'm dating myself. Is Conan on anymore? He's not? I don't know. Ah, well, then there's for sure nothing worth watching anymore. Ah, the good old days. John Stewart's back on. Oh, interesting. Does he have a beard? Yeah. Well, because he's, listen, Chabad is all trendy. Yeah. I'm telling you, they copied the beard, they copied the fedoras. I'm yeah. saying, I'm just saying, Chabad is super hip. All right, back to our story. So the point is to take the inspiration with you, don't just leave it behind. Let's take a look at text number four and let's see this, let's see this inside. Real, real quick point. Yeah. This, excuse me, this is a point the Alter Rebbe makes. That the difference between us and angels oh. is that we can be in the darkest place. Love it. Good. But we can bring light to it. Excellent. Which angels cannot do. Excellent. That's what, that's what, that's what you love this. Love this. Mark is saying, and this separates the men from the angels. I don't mean men specifically. right? Humans from angels. A human being, an angel, sorry, an angel, when you put an angel into this world, zap, on contact. Can't handle it. When you put a human... We can make a difference. Text number four, let's read this inside. Here is what the Rebbe says about this. And Jacob left Be'er Sheva and went to Haran. This refers to the soul's journey into the body, which is a descent from exalted heights, similar to Be'er Sheva, to a deep pit, similar to Haran. In other words, the symbolism of leaving the light and heading toward the darkness, right? It's almost like, you know what you say, like when a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, Right? On this level, it's, there's a darkness at the end of the light. 
Right? That's kind of what, right? We're aiming. We're aiming toward the darkness. We're aiming. The soul is aiming to the darkness. It's what the previous Rebbe told Rabbi Zalman Posner when he went down to Nashville. Right? And, and he didn't want to go. Rabbi Zalman, Rabbi, the Rebbe said to Zalman, the previous Rebbe said to Zalman Posner, he said, the soul comes down to a dark and cold place and the journey continues. The journey, I'm paraphrasing, the journey keeps on going. So go down to a dark and no, not knocking Nashville. It's a great, that's a great town. Was a Chabadnik? Rabbi Zalman Posner? Yeah. You know Rabbi Zalman Posner? Years and years and years ago. Of course. I met Rabbi Posner. You're from Chattanooga. Yeah. So in, you're neighbors. In Nashville, yeah. Yeah. But I didn't know he's a Chabadnik. It's Chabadnik, yeah. He comes from Pittsburgh. What do you mean? Really? Yeah. Really? Probably my mother's, uh, did you know? Mom, did you know him? Yeah. All right. Fine. Good. So listen, here's the deal. This is the journey of the soul. This is the journey of Jacob. It's the journey of influence. This is Kimi Tzion Tetzay Torah from Zion. Torah emerges. However, just when you thought this was a nice, light, and fluffy class, let's get deep. Let's get deep. I'm going to put back up a text that I want to focus on. This is going to be text number three. Okay? Text number three from Isaiah, chapter two, verse three. We read it before. I sang it before. I'm not going to sing it again. I want to do some analysis on the verse. I'm not going to let you off easy tonight with easy stuff. This is going to be a deep analysis. Take a look. There's two halves of the verse separated by a comma, which makes sense. Take a look. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this, and you tell me what you notice. For from Zion, the Torah will come forth, and the word of God from Jerusalem. So the Torah will come forth from Zion, and the word of God will come forth from Jerusalem. Make sense? Yes? Yes? Okay, let me ask a few questions. Number one, what's Zion and what's Jerusalem? Okay, question number one. Let me, let me step, take a step back. Where's Zion? What's a Zionist? <laughs> where's, Zion is Israel, but specifically where in Israel is Zion? It's a mount, there's a Mount Zion. Zion specifically refers to Jerusalem. Oh, it does? Z yeah, Zion, so Zionist, but it officially, it, it, in Scripture, it specifically refers to Jerusalem. Zion is Yerushalayim. So understand this. From Zion, the Torah will come forth. Where, where, from where? From Jerusalem. And the Word of God from Jerusalem. Okay, so it seems to be saying the same thing twice. And Torah... It's coming forth from Zion and the word of God from Jerusalem. What's the word of God? Torah. Torah. So is the verse just repeating itself? Saying the same thing twice in poetic language? Is this poetry? It's like, from Zion the Torah will come forth. And in case you missed it the first time, and the word of God from Jerusalem. Aren't we saying the same thing? Heyo, it's the same thing. From Zion the Torah will come forth and the word of God from Jerusalem. It's literally repeating itself. However, it's not. And this is what I want to do right now. I'm going to differentiate. Good. We're going to, I like the way you're thinking. We're going to have a different angle on that. Mark is asking, is it written versus oral Torah? That's not exactly what we're going to say, but you'll see we're going to differentiate. In other words, where I'm going with this, and you could probably tell already, is to say that the, the verse is not repeating itself. In this case, Zion is not exactly the same as Jerusalem, and the Torah is not the same as the Word of God. In other words, these are two different statements. Statement one, is about Zion and Torah. Statement two is about the word of God in Jerusalem, and they're saying two different things, and now we need to know what's Zion, what's Jerusalem, what's Torah, and what's the word of God. We have four words or phrases that need explanation. 
What is Zion? What is Jerusalem? What is Torah? What is the Word of God? And why is Torah specifically associated with Zion and the Word of God with Jerusalem? And I hope I'm not confusing anybody, but it's important that we understand uh, this verse fully because this forms the crux of today's conversation. So let's talk about Zion. The Hebrew word of Zion is Tzion. Tzion. Tzioni. Tzion. Tzion is Zion. Tzion. So what does Tzion mean in Hebrew? In Hebrew, so what, yeah, what, Tzion is a Hebrew word. What does it mean in English? So you're going to say Zion, right? Tzion is Zion. But it means something. Tzion means something. What does Tzion mean? Anybody know what Tzion means? Where are my uh, etymologists or grammat- gr- gr- grammar, whatever, grammar peoples? Okay. Does, does it come from Mitzuyan, excellence? Uh, it might be related to it, but there's a different meaning that I had in mind. Okay. Tzion. Tzion means a mark or a sign. A sign. Tzion is like a sign or a mark. So, for example, we have a simple example. Let's say you have, let's say you have a book. Let's say you have a book, and it's a book that there's millions of books like that in the world, but you have a mark on your book, like your cover has a scratch or a thing or a dent or the page is folded. Like there's a little mark on the book that you know it's yours. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you know, even though there's millions of these books in circulation, your book looks like that because it has that mark. Tzion is a mark. Tzion is a mark. What does this mean in human terms? Uh, So here's what I want to do. Let me just explain what I'm going to do before we do it. I'm going to explain what Tzion, Zion, what Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, what they mean on a a human, on a, a spiritual level. Because these are not just places. Yerushalayim, Tzion... These are, Jerusalem is the, cent, is, is the spiritual epicenter of the earth. It's a place where we connect with God. In other words, it represents our connection with God. So what does it mean for us? What is Tzion on a human level? What is Tzion in a pers- on a personal level? Tzion refers to a person who mostly, more or less, looks like everyone else. Looks like a person, a normal person. But there are certain signs that they're a little bit different. Are you with me? Just like the book. Let's say you have a copy of Harry Potter. Just keep it Harry Potter for tonight, right? <laughs> Harry Potter, right? How many millions of copies of Harry Potter are out there? Millions. How many millions? I have no idea, but millions of copies. But your copy has a mark that you know, okay, this is your copy. You can identify it. In a police lineup, you can say, oh, that's my book. I, I, I know it. I Once I spilled coffee on the edge of the page, I could see the stain. I got it, right? There's a mark on it. You, you can identify it. On human, on a, on, in human terms, this means a person who more or less looks like, uh, the, uh, like all eight billion people on the planet, right? A person who looks like a person who looks like pretty much everyone else, with the exception, with the exception, that in certain areas there's a distinction, which means that when it comes down to it, this person, although they are worldly, they're of the world. There's distinguishing marks that differentiate this person from everyone else in a good way, in a good way. This is not a coffee stain in a negative way. This is a good thing. This means that when everyone in the world, when most people will cut corners and massage the truth and cheat a little bit to earn a little bit more money, this person says, no, not going to do it. I'm going to be honest in business. That's, my, that's the Jewish sign, so to speak. That's the, sim, that's the tzion. That's the sign. That's the mark. 
That's the mark of a Jew. It's an identifying mark. In other words, this person dresses up in the business suit, goes to work nine to five like everyone else. Right? The book like, every, like all the other books. I, am I getting too esoteric here? Am I getting too, is it too weird? Is it too puzzling or is it fine? Are we, are we, are we okay? Yeah. Karen, are we okay here so far? Well, unfortunately, I had to take a call. And oh. Part of it, but I am curious how this person looks different. If you could just tell oh. me in one sentence. So, 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 so on the surface, the person looks like everyone else. Goes to work, has a job, is successful. But when push comes to shove, yeah, they act in the Jewish way. Now, it doesn't mean that only Jews are honest in business. It doesn't mean that no Jews ever cheat in business. That's not what I mean. But I mean is, what I mean is that there are certain values that this Jew keeps and adheres because of Torah. What do you have? Score. Score. All right. What does Google know? Right. Yeah. Google Translate. No. Oh, a score is like a fold. Maybe. Maybe like a sign. Maybe like a, a sign. Like a mark. Yeah, maybe it's a mark. Score is a sign. Yeah. Score is a mark. It's a mark. So it's a mark. It's a sign. Which is a sign. So it means that this is, so, so the, 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 Tzion, the Tzion Jew, the Zion, the sign Jew, is the person who looks more or less like everyone else, but in critical areas, maintains their identity, maintains their Yiddishkeit. So they're doing, they're, they're doing a business deal, but they'll sneak away to David Mincha, the afternoon prayer, because that's the sign of a Jew, right? Sign of a Jew. Right, first thing in the morning, doesn't go to yoga, Pilates, meditation, and uh, avocado toast. I don't know if anybody goes to avocado toast, but you're with me, right? But rather, this person, first thing in the morning, Davin Shachras, morning prayers for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes, whatever it is. Davins, Davins maybe wraps filling, etc. This person Davins, the sign of the Jew, the on the mark of a Jew. But again... So this person otherwise, like the book that has the mark, looks like everyone else, but with certain, ident certain critical identifying, identifying marks. Okay, good. Done. That's Tzion. What's Yerushalayim? <coughs> Remember, physically it's the same city, but different names and different connotations spiritually. That's Tzion. What's Yerushalayim? Yerushalayim comes from two words. Jerusalem. Yerushalayim comes from two words. Yira Shalem. Yira means fear, ah, but in this context it means surrender. And Shalem means complete. Complete surrender. This is a person who is not mostly like everyone else with some identifying marks of their Yiddishkeit, of their Judaism. This is somebody who is completely surrendered, completely surrendered to God, completely surrendered to Judaism, completely surrendered to Yiddishkeit. What does this person look like? Doesn't look like the Jew who more or less looks like everyone else with the exception of the things that they do Jewishly. This person looks like the, like the authentic, throwback, old school, real deal, old world, old country Jew. Are you with me on this? Okay. Two different types. Two different types. There's the Tzion Jew and the Yerushalayim Jew. The Tzion Jew is the modern Jew who, who and by the way, he garners respect. Because he's successful, and yet he's Jewish. He's successful, but he'll daven. He's successful, but he won't work on Shabbos. Right, so that's a good thing. So, then you have the Yerushalayim Jew, the Jerusalem Jew. And that's someone who's a throwback. A throwback. This is someone who doesn't look like everyone else. This is like authentic through and through. This is the one who davens three hours in the morning. Not quickly before they go to work at 9 to 5. This is someone who davens three hours and figures that out later. Whatever happens, happens. This is the throwback, the throw, pure authenticity. Okay, so that's 
that I asked before, we had a verse. Zion and Yerushalayim, what's the difference? I'm, I'm explaining the difference based on Chassidus uh, and Kabbalah. So let's, just so you know I'm not making this up, let's take a look at text number five. And here's how the Rebbe explains it, hopefully, hopefully, the way I explained it. Zion, text five, Zion in the context of an identifying mark points to a manner of divine service that enables us to become a mark of godliness. We retain our individuality and do not become utterly null before God. In other words, we don't lose ourselves and dissolve in the divine. We're still a mensch, we're still our own person, but we rework and refine our nature so as to be a mark of godliness. So again, in my example, I'm trying to contemporize it with language a little bit to make it more on the ground. It's a person who goes to work, a person who's of this world, but they have certain marks that, uh, that identify them as Jewish. Perfect. And what about... Um, oh, what about Jerusalem? Okay, so now Jerusalem, okay, Jerusalem means, means full surrender, and we don't have that, that, that idea here. So now that's Zion and Yerushalayim. We also had in the verse the idea of Torah and the Word of God. We said, from Zion, Torah emerges, and from Jerusalem, the Word of God emerges. So Zion, Jerusalem, we get, but... What's Torah and what's the Word of God? What, how are those two things different? Aren't they the same thing? Isn't Torah the Word of God? Isn't the Word of God Torah? What's the difference? So here's the difference. Torah refers to the entire dialogue and back and forth of Torah literature. In other words, like when you study Talmud, and you have arguments and disagreements and back and forth and conversations and this rabbi says this and that rabbi says that. That's all part of Torah. And to give you an example of this, let's take a look at the next text, just so it's not uh, theoretical. Take a look at text number six. This comes from the Talmud. Rabbi Abba said in the name of Shmuel, for three years, the houses, the academies, the Talmudic academies of Shammai and Hillel were, were in dispute. These said, one, one academy said, the halacha, the law is in accordance with our opinion. And these said, the other side said, no, the halacha, the law is in accordance with our opinion. A divine voice emerged and proclaimed, both these and those are spoken by the living God. However, in other words, both are pure and true and kosher and divine. Both are amazing. However, the halacha, the law is with the house of Hillel. In other words, Shammai is also right. But in practice, you got to go like the house of Hillel. That's the Talmud. So the Talmud discusses how there was a three-year debate on matters of Jewish law. And each academy said, we have a right. We have a right. It was a whole thing. Until finally, this divine voice proclaimed and said, both are Torah. Both are the word of God. Both are Torah. But the halacha in practice, you can only, it's either kosher or not kosher can't be both at the same time. So in concept, both, have, both are, are conceptually correct, but in practice, you've got to follow one, and you follow, we follow Hillel. Hillel had the majority. Hillel is more lenient for various reasons. We follow the Academy of Hillel over Shammai, but that's beside the point. Here's my point. When we refer to Torah, the body of Torah, what, is it, what does it include? It includes all of the discussions and all of the points and counterpoints and all the opinions. Hillel and Shammai, whether or not it's the halacha, whether or not it's the final law, the opinions that are stated in Torah are all considered part of Torah. What is the word of God? What is Dvar Hashem? What is the word of God? That refers, in the second half of the verse, that refers only to the halacha. How do I know this? Because it says, again, there's a source that says this. Take a look at 
at uh, text number seven. All you need to do is look at that last line. The word of God refers to halacha, refers to the actual bottom line law. So what we have here is the following. I'm going to go back to the verse. Okay, the verse from Isaiah. Turn back, turn, turn back time, TBT Wednesday, page 89, text number three. Follow along with me. It's a simple verse packed with meaning. There's two halves, two clauses in this verse. First half talks about Zion and Torah. Second half talks about Jerusalem and the Word of God. What are these four items? Zion represents my identity with a little bit of God. Jerusalem represents all God. I'm all in on this. Torah represents multiple opinions, diversity of opinion, diversity of thought, final opinions and not final opinions and arguments and discussions and backs and forths. And the Word of God refers solely to halacha, to the bottom line law. Now, let me check in with you. Does all of this make sense? Yes, all of this lines up. All, all of the terms are correct. Okay. Now we have to understand why is Torah Zion and why is the Word of God Jerusalem? Why are those, why are those items connected? And here's the answer. When a person, listen to this, when a, person ident- when a person maintains their own identity, their own individuality, their own nine to five persona, but on top of that layers on a little bit of science for God, a little bit of... Uh, I didn't say science, I said signs, marks. For God, a person is who they are, right? The person is a businessman, the person is a teacher, the person is a, you know, whatever it is. A person is a lawyer, a person is a doctor, whatever. And, but they have marks, they've identified marks. Oh, I could tell they're Jewish, I could tell they, you know, they go to shul, they do this, they, okay, good. So, but they, they maintain their own individuality. That is the platform from which Torah emerges the discussion that includes not the final halacha. Why? Because it includes diversity of thought. What is, what is the back and forth in Talmudic discourse? It's different personalities that express their way of seeing things. In other words, it's I interpret Torah this way. I interpret Torah that way. So now we have diversity of thought, which is a good thing, by the way. But where does it come from? It comes from the, individu- the individuality. So when you have individuals that are who they are, plus there's a mark a, a divine mark on them, a Jewish mark on them, but they're maintaining their own individuality, that gives rise to diversity of thought. When you have Yerushalayim, when you have Jerusalem, which is a person that's all in, a person that's completely surrendered to the divine experience, that's when you tune into the halacha, that's when you tune into divine will, because I'm not taking up space. Put in other words, the more I am present, the more likely it is that I am going to have my perspective that may not be actually the, 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 the final divine perspective. As long as there's my individuality, I might have my opinion that might be a little bit, you know, my, my own way. Now, it's not wrong, it's just mine, but it's, it could be my own opinion. But when I surrender completely, I can attune myself to the divine will, and that's how we arrive at halacha, which is why the verse says, Going back to the verse, and I'm going to do the verse one more time. Verse number, text number three, the verse from Isaiah. For from Zion, when you and I are in a state of Zion, which means that we're holding on to our own individuality with a little bit of Torah, with a little bit of, with a little bit of God, with a little bit of Yiddishkeit, that's when Torah comes forth with diversity of opinion, including those that are not the final halacha because everyone has their own individuality. But the word of God, how do you get to halacha? How do you get to the, to, how do you attune to the divine will? That's when you get Jerusalem. That's when you approach it from a Jerusalem place. That's when you approach it from a complete surrender. So when we are completely dissolved in the divine experience of study, then we're attuned to what God wants perfectly. When we maintain our identity in the, in the process, then we might have an opinion that
that doesn't actually perfectly line up with the final, with, with, with God's initial intent, and thus it's not the halacha. Okay, let me check in. Does this make sense? Yes? Sort of? Yes? Ish? Sort of? Sort of? Okay. As it is regarding Torah study, the same thing is true regarding influence. You can influence as a Zionist, I don't mean that literally, or you can influence as a Yerushalmi, as a Jerusalemite. Yeah, you with me? You can influence from a place of Tzion, as a Mark. You can influence from a place of Yerushalayim, complete surrender. And this is what I, how I started this conversation a few minutes ago. You can influence someone by going to work and being successful and showing people that you can be successful, you can be at the top of your field and still be a practicing Jew. Look, this person who's making tons of cash, very successful, very this, that, or the other, and still they're Jewish, they don't work on Shabbos, these are all good things and this creates an influence. 100%, without a doubt. That's the Zion type of influence. That's the person who has their identity, but with a mark, and they're, they're influencing by the mark that they maintain, the Jewish mark, the divine mark, even with everything else. But then you have the Jerusalem Jew, who's completely surrendered. This is the throwback Jew. Completely authentic, completely true. I don't, I don't mean true as the other one's not true, but completely, like not even, not even trying to be a role model. Not even trying to be, look, I'm successful and Jewish. I'm combining modernity and tradition. Not even that. Not even that play. It's complete tradition, old school, old school tradition without even thinking about how I look as a role model. And my friends, when it comes to influence, you can influence both ways. You can influence by people saying, wow, that modern sleek-looking person is still true to tradition. That's great. That's, that, that, that's influential. But you can also influence by not trying to influence. In other words, by just being who you are, just being completely authentic. You see what I'm talking about? There's the glossy influence, and then there's the authentic influence. I'm not knocking the former. It has, it has tremendous value. It has tremendous... We've had... We've had, I'm sure some of you have been there. At, at the old Chabad house, we had a writer. He wrote Shrek 2. Remember this guy? David, uh, Dave, um, David Weiss? Funny guy? Whatever. He's a guy. He's a screenwriter. And he keeps Shabbos. And it's an inspiring story. And again, this is not, this, I'm not, I'm not putting, putting anyone down. Very, very inspiring, very influential. That's one way to inspire. But then you have the, the old school Jew who's davening for three hours in a synagogue. And you know what? That's also inspiring. Two different ways to inspire. You can inspire the glossy inspiration, right? The more, I'm going to say traditional, I mean, the more, not old school, but the more what we would consider today the way to influence, right? A more of a, the, the more marketable influencer, right? It's a little bit, the marketing is a little bit easier to market this one, right? But look, someone who's successful, someone who's top of the field, and they're st they still have the mark of a Jew. Look at that. Influential, right? That's one way. The other way is old school, authentic Yerushalayim, Jerusalem. And this plays into the last part of the story of this week's Torah portion. What happens is, listen to this. 
What happens is, as I mentioned at the beginning of the class, Jacob, after 20 years of working for his father-in-law, slash uncle, Laban, after 20 years, he decides to leave. And he decides to leave in the middle of the night. Why? Because he doesn't want a confrontation. In general, Jacob avoids confrontation. This is something you need to know about Jacob. If we were putting him on a couch, and there's a couch right here, uh, he's a guy who runs away from Esau when things get a little tough. He runs away from Lava and his uncle when things get a little bit tough. He's, uh, some say, I don't want to give too much away, some say, you know, when, when he fights with the angel, he wrestles with the angel, and the angel hits him on the leg and causes him to have a limp. Yeah? Some commentators say, you know why the angel did that? So he shouldn't run away from encountering his brother Esau the next morning because he was a runner. He was a runner. He ran from Esau initially. He ran from Lavan in the middle of the night. What happens when Lavan catches, uh, um, catches up to him after running away? In this week, at the end of this week's Torah portion, here's the dialogue. Take a look at this dialogue. Um, Yaakov, Jacob, defends himself. Jacob fiercely defends himself in the fact that he ran. Take a look at text number 12. So Laban says, how dare you run away? How dare you take my daughters? How dare you take my grandkids? How dare you take all my stuff and run? Yeah, what's this business? So here's what Jacob says. Jacob was annoyed. At this point, he, was, he, he had it. He was annoyed and quarreled with Lavan. He said to him, what is my transgression? What is my sin? Why have you pursued me? Why are you chasing after me? You rifled through all my possessions. He accused him of stealing a, a, an idol. You rifled through all my possessions. If you found any of your belongings, place it before my kinsmen and yours and let them decide between us. I have now been with you. Listen to this. He's just... At this point, he's just you know, being very open here. I've, been with, I've now been with you for 20 years. Your ewes and she-goats have not aborted, neither have I eaten the rams of your flocks. In other words, I was completely honest. I was your shepherd for 20 years, completely honest. I didn't take anything. I didn't steal anything. I didn't eat anything. Oh, no one's looking. Let me eat this animal. Ne never happened, right? Never happened. Completely honest in business. I have not presented you with mauled livestock, and when that occurred, I suffered its loss. In other words, if an animal got killed... I replaced it from my own pocket. From my hand, you demanded what was stolen by day and what was stolen at night. I was completely honest. I was the example of an honest Jewish businessman. I worked hard and I was honest. Let's continue verse 40. I was in the field by day and when the heat consumed me and the frost at night and my sleep wandered from my eyes. This is 20 years that I've spent in your house. I've served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your animals and you changed my wages tens of times. You are the one that has to do the apologizing, not me. I left in the middle of the night because of how you've been treating me all these years. I put in my work. I did it honestly and you've treated me not nicely and that's where we're at. Okay, that's, how, that's Jacob's pushback against his father-in-law slash uncle Laban. Verse 43, Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the sons are my sons, the animals are my animals, and all that you see is mine. Now what would I do to these daughters of mine today or to their children whom they have born? You think I would hurt them? They're my family. So now, says, love, says Laban to Jacob, on a practical level, come let us form a covenant, you and I, and may he be a witness between me and you. He says, all right, let's make a peace treaty and let's, just, let's get along with each other. Do you understand what's going on here? Look at, look at Laban's response. The first response is, yeah, um, everything is mine, right? Everything is mine. So he's not impressed by, by Jacob's whole uh, diatribe over here, his whole uh, emotional plea. Uh, Laban is clearly not, not, uh, not, not, not that impressed. But at the end of the day, he says, let's make a covenant, let's make a peace treaty. The way the Rebbe explains this is Jacob said two things, and in response, Laban said two things. So let's break it down. What does Jacob say? What does Laban say? Jacob says two things. Number one, I've been, I'm an honest businessman. 
I worked for you, and I was honest. If there was a loss, I suffered it. I didn't steal anything. I didn't take anything. I didn't eat anything. I didn't steal a pencil. I didn't make a phone call, a personal phone call on company time. Are you with me on what I'm saying? Are you with me on what I'm saying? I was dedicated. Yeah, I was dedicated. And then he says a second thing. For 20 years, I didn't sleep. 20 years, I didn't sleep. 20 years, sleep never passed my... What does it mean, 20 years, I didn't sleep? What, he was working all day for, for his, as a shepherd? That's not what it means. According to the Jewish commentaries, what it means is that Jacob is telling Laban, for 20 years, what I was doing was studying Torah, composing Psalms. It says the Shir Hamalot, the 15 Shir Hamalot, Shir Hamalot, uh, Song of Ascents. There's 15 Songs of Ascents. Chapter 120 through chapter 134 of Psalms. You can look it up later or look it up now. Those 15 chapters of Psalms, that's what Jacob was penning and reciting for 20 years. I mean, that's a psalm a year and a half, but whatever. No, I'm kidding. But that's what he was, that's what he was reviewing. That's what he was studying. That's what he was involved in. Yes, he was also shepherding, but his message to Laban is twofold. Number one, I'm a businessman that's honest. Number two, I'm authentic. For 20 years, I've been, I've been serving God and spiritually involved. And to this, Laban responds in two ways. Number one, to the fact that you're a, a Jewish, business, a, a kosher businessman, the fact that you're an honest businessman, I'm, it's not impressive. You're still a Ghanif. You still took everything of mine. You're still a thief. All the animals are mine. The daughters are mine. Your grandchildren are mine. The family is mine. And you ran away, and I don't like that. But you know what he's impressed with? You know what he says, let's make a covenant? Why does he say at the end, let's make a covenant? Because of the authentic Jacob. Because Jacob said, I'm not just uh, 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 an honest businessman. But for 20 years, I've been dedicated to my faith. And that impresses even a Laban. My friends, there's two ways to influence. I hope that made sense. There's two ways to influence. You can influence by showing that the Jew can be Jewish even amidst a non-Jewish, even amidst a, a, an other environment. In other words, you can do the other things that the world does and put a little Jewish twist on it. And, and that's the mark of a Jew. It's the mark of Yiddishkeit. And that could be influential, and that is influential. But ultimately, what gets Laban, what influences Laban, as the Rebbe explains, is not that. It's not, it's not how honest he was as a shepherd. It's the fact that for 20 years, he was a la Torah of Voda. He was serving God. Even while shepherding, he was serving God. I mean, how, right? Even while shepherding, he was praying and meditating and studying and, and doing his Jewish thing. And that's not the mark. That's the, that's the throwback. That's the authentic. And the message for us is, the message for us is, we need times in which we're the Zion Jew, and we need times in which we're the Jerusalem Jew. The Zion Jew means you go to work, you're out there in the world, you go to a restaurant, you meet, meet up with friends, and as you're living that life, the, a worldly life, you throw in a little Jew. A little Judaism, I don't mean Jew, a little Judaism. You have a little, a, little, a little Jewish twist on it. A little Jewish twist on it. That's the Zion. And the Jerusalem means that sometimes you don't even worry about the world. You just are your true, pure, authentic self without needing to gloss it up, without the veneer, without the shine, without the, the Instagram filter, the Jewgram filter. It doesn't have to be glossy. It doesn't have to, be, doesn't have to look like anything. Right? It's just being the authentic you. And at the end of the day, it's authenticity that really inspires others. Mm-hmm. So being authentic is always good. It's vis-a-vis influence, it's the, it's the strongest way to influence, being authentic. 
they would say, they said, it was said, that back in the day, the original chassidim that came to America, how did they attract, how did they get a crowd? How did they fill up the yeshivot, the schools? How did they, how did they do it? You think they put out glossy flyers and brochures? Come to our new school where we study Torah all day. That was it. These people, chassidim from Europe, went into the, the New York synagogues, the Chicago synagogues. They went in and they dive in three, four hours. Not as a show, because that's who they were. And when the community saw these people davening for three, four hours, many of them said, that's what I want for my kids. That's authentic. Even my kid's not going to end up davening every day for three, four hours, but that's the real deal. That's authentic. You can't go wrong by being authentic. So you try to gloss it up, shine it up, you know, make it marketable. Yeah, all of that is new age stuff. All of that is, and we have to do that also. But being authentic is really the way to influence. If we were really speaking, like down, we would say, how do you influence a child? How do you influence a child? Is it about the right words that you say? Is it about the messaging? It's about who you are, right? It's not about the, me- it's not about the packaging. It's not about the Zion. It's not about the packaging. It's about the Jerusalem. It's about the Yerushalayim. It's about... Being you, who you are is what influences. It's not what you say, it's not what you profess, it's not what you preach, it's not what you, it's not the inspirational messages that you share. That's not, that's not, what, it's not what influences. What influences is who you are. Who you are authentically, that's what influences. That's what, that's what the other one hears. So, here's my blessing. May we be inspired by this week's story, by this week's Torah portion, may we be inspired by the life and legacy of Jacob. This week in which we are marking yard sites of parents, let us remember that there's no substitute for influence. There's no substitute for authenticity. There's no substitute for role modeling. Not preaching, but really authentically living. So this week, let's live authentically. Not because it's going to influence, although it will, but because that's who we are. And then, may our authenticity change the world for the better. Thank you for joining me tonight for Torah Studies. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. I'm available for questions, and I know I packed in a lot of stuff and a lot of moving pieces, and it's okay if you didn't get all the moving pieces as long as the main point comes through, the value of authenticity. All right, a few quick announcements. One second, Steve. One second, hold on. A few quick announcements before we formally open it up. Number one is that um, we have some very important upcoming events and programs and classes and courses. This Monday night, we have the launch of our brand new Rosh Chodesh Society course for women. So it's called Well Connected. It's a course for women, taught by women. It's taught by Dina Schusterman and Leah Solish. And you can join by going to our website, intowntownjewishacademy.org, slash something. Or just go to intowntownjewishacademy.org. It's on the homepage. It's called Well Connected. Seven monthly sessions focusing on seven practical Jewish rituals and their meaning. 
So if we want to infuse meaning into our ritual, Judaism, that's the way to do it. That, that, this is the course for you. We also have upcoming a jewelry workshop for Hanukkah next Saturday night. We also have upcoming a mitzvah day where we're going to be cooking for women without homes. Yeah, yeah uh, that's coming up on the 21st of November at 12.30 p.m. in the afternoon. Join us right here. We're going to be pre prepping, cooking, and baking for women in Rebecca's tent shelter associated with the affiliated with Sheriff Israel. Um, so, uh, what else do we have upcoming? We have a few surprises that are upcoming. Check your inbox. You may have received an email from me. If not, uh, keep on checking. You may receive an email from me about something special upcoming on the 21st in the evening. We also have starting up the Kabbalah of the Matrix. We have all, whatever. Just check, check your local listings. Check the website. Join us for all and, uh, and be part of the magic as it unfolds. All right. At this point, let's open up for questions and comments. Steve? Rabbi, uh, uh, Tanya talks about the, 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 the Benoni. And yes. how does the Benoni fit in between the Yerushalayim Jew and the Zion Jew? Uh, where does he fit in, in in that spectrum? That's a really good question. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't thought about it to try to. You know, it's you could slice something different ways. Like we sliced it one way, and the Benoni Tzaddik uh, Russia is slicing it kind of a different way. I I don't know. I have to think about how how that paradigm fits into this paradigm. Um, I don't know. Can you be a Tzaddik? We'll see. Um, I, you know, wh whether the Bainani is someone who struggles but does the right thing, is, could that person be the Jerusalem Jew? Is that only a tzaddik who could be the Jerusalem Jew? I, I would say the Bainani could be both, the Zion and Jerusalem Jew. I think we can struggle and still be authentic because we have that authenticity within us, even though we have it. The struggle just means that we have another part of us that's inside of us. It doesn't mean that the, that the divine part is not authentic. So when we channel that authenticity, that's when we're in a Jerusalem mode. We don't have to be there 24-7. When we're there, it's authentic. So I think we can be a Bainani and still, and still have that Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem vibe going on. That's what I would say. In my unprofessional opinion. Thank you. Pleasure. All right. Yes, Sarah. Hold on. I think you, you, uh, you, you muted So are you there? No? Okay. Rabbi Ari, while we're waiting for Sarah. Yes. Um, so I wanted to tie back to Haran and this idea of going to Haran and bringing Torah to Haran. I mean, essentially, that ability to influence was really all about being authentic. So it's... Right. it's it's not even bringing the Noahide laws as much as it is being who, or Yaakov being who he is, or, you know, and, and, and so, and there, therefore influencing from that authentic, authentic place. So there's a, there's a piece of the class that I skipped because I didn't want to add another layer and add more confusion and drag it out more. But the piece that I skipped was when it comes to the seven Noahide laws, there's two elements. There's mankind keeping the seven Ohad laws, and then there's mankind keeping the seven Ohad laws because God said so. And that's, and that's a deeper, truer way. So it's one thing if a person says, oh yeah, I agree, don't kill. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me, so I'm not going to kill. But there's a deeper idea that God told me not to. 
And the real observance of the seven Ohai laws for all mankind is not just to do it because it makes sense to us, but because God said so. And that's the idea of kind of that authenticity of aligning with God on that pure way where it's not just about that I think that 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 makes sense to me, but it's about that pure, and that's where the authenticity is the role model for that level of of observance of the seven Ohai laws. I I hope that makes sense. In other words, it's not just that when Jacob is authentic to his, when he's true blue, right? When he's like authentically, through and through authentic um, and and, and just completely surrendered to God and, and he's not doing it as a show and he's not doing it, you know, glossing it up, but he's truly authentic on that level. That is um, an inspiration for everyone to be authentic in their own way and to surrender in their own way and therefore to not just do the no laws because it makes sense, but because God said so. And okay, that's... So, yeah. so basically then, I mean, I, and I get that. So, so essentially, the journey to Haran is not so much a um, transactional bringing Torah to Haran. Correct. It is this you know, being, being the authenticity of his godliness. Correct. Right. It's about, it's about the core coming through. It's not, not the packaging so much as it's about the core. Right? When in the experience of the businessman who steals away from the meeting and says, I'm sorry, I have to excuse myself. I have to pray the afternoon prayers before the sun sets. That's amazing. And that just shows dedication to God and to Mincha. I don't know. I don't know why, why I would put that down. I mean, that's amazing. That's full, full stop amazing. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to compare and contrast that one. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. But the, the, the idea of authenticity is, on every level, it's, that it's, it's beyond, the, ex, it's beyond the, the expression of the authenticity. What you see is more the, the commitment itself. Right? There's, there's the commitment, and then there's commitment to something. So le, less, than the, less than the commitment to something is the commitment itself. That's kind of the, the way I would distinguish it. Rabbi, yes. One of the main reasons we come to Chabad is because the rabbis and the rabbis are committed and they're authentic. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I'm I'm humbled to hear that, and I'm I'm very. That's true. I'm. Thank you. Ari, could I ask a question? For sure. Yeah. It, it, Hold on, especially the day after your birthday. Happy birthday, mom. Right? Never, never, never too late to mention that again. Thank you. Thank you. You're, you're a very, very dutiful and loving son. Son, you recognize me yesterday and today. I do do what I can. I know, I know. Okay. So my question is this. You're giving an example. Thank you, Ariella, um, from the chat. and Yaakov, oh no, I can't do this. <laughs> I'll have to thank him. No, just go, just you know, you're good, you're good, just okay. go, yeah. Okay, so my question is this: um, Isn't some of the being a Yerushalmi Jew contingent upon the time, the era? In other words, your great grandfather came over to America. He was told, he was warned, you got to shave your beard. You got you to gotta, um, not wear a, a hat. You got you to gotta do all these things. Right. Throw away your trillin. Don't let anybody see you with them. And he made up his mind. He said, absolutely not. So, he, but, so in those days, he was 
outstanding like a Yerushalmi Jew would be now, right. completely devoted to to God. His name was Chaim Yeshaya Hakoyen, and he was he was he was outstanding in ways that we that that nowadays we wouldn't make a big fuss about. So I'm saying that part of this being a Right, I hear you. It's like con- it's contextual. It's like it depends on the depends a little bit on the era. Like in one era, that's right. Yeah, I could I could see that, and that's why I don't know that there's a hard and fast rule of what is this, what's that. But it's more of like there's two ways that you can that you can inspire someone, you can influence someone. It could be that you know even in the world you show signs of your Yiddishkeit, or it's not just a sign. It's not just a tzion. It's not just a sign. It's like. No. It's the real, it's like authentic and not even caring about the world almost, but just being completely authentic. So again, a specific application, a specific era, I don't know that I'm qualified to say which is this and which is that. And that's why I even started giving the example of the mincha. And I I don't even know which one that is. You could look at it both ways. But it's just, I think for each of us, there there are experiences that we have when we're being authentic, when we're not doing it to show anyone else, when we're not doing it for promotion, so to speak. We're not doing it for the influence. We're just being real. And that has the greatest influence of all, when we're just being who we are, right? right. People look at who we are, and, and that's, and that's what's, what's inspiring. It's less what you say and more who you are. I mean, you see someone who's dedicated to a cause. They don't have to say anything. You're like, wow, that's that's that 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 must be a worthy cause, or that's that's inspiring. It's not it's not about the it's not about the packaging. Anyway, all right, good. Um, it's great to see everybody. I, I have two questions. Right? Yes, Yaakov. Um, so the first was, do we know mileage-wise how far Haran and Padan Haram are? Do, are they your your guess? I just I don't know. Google it. Uh, you'll I'm sure you'll find it. Google. I, I would. I, I would Google it to get the, to help with the answer. Make sure it's an authentic source. I don't have mileage. I don't have that. I don't have that that level of uh, of detail. I would definitely take a look. I'm sure you can find it. So we don't know how many days Jacob was walking. I believe there was miraculous where it was kfitzat tadarach, where the, the 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 length of the journey was shortened for him. I believe that's our, that's a tradition, but I I would need to double check that. Yeah, I heard that about Elias. I didn't know about right. It. I, right. That's why I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. I believe that also happened, but it, I could be wrong. I could be wrong on that. And then the other thing was, um, what is so special about this idolatrous family versus all the idolatrous families he could have gotten next door and saved a lot of you know mileage on his feet? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and that's what I was. I was trying to get to that at the beginning of the class, but maybe it was a little bit confusing. My understanding is that the Abrahamic family had a monotheistic streak in it because of Abraham. So even the, you know, the, the, that, that family that was now in Haran, and not now, that, was, that remained in Haran, there were still members of the family generations later, like Rebecca, like Leah, like Rachel, that, were, that had that monotheistic streak in them. And that's, that's what it was. It wasn't about Haran. It wasn't marry a Haranite girl, not a Canaanite girl, because there's no difference. It's specifically marry a girl from the family of Abraham, from the family of your mother that has that streak going through it. So you're right. Haran is just as bad as Canaan, if not worse. It's as pagan. As, it's, as, it's, as, it's just as pagan. It was about, it was about the specific family. Sorry? Actually, the family of Sarah. 
No, it was Abraham's family. Well, hold on one second. Abraham and Sarah were also related. So the answer is both. They were, I think they were niece and uncle, whatever. They were also, maybe not niece and uncle, but they were also related. It's all, it's all, I mean, it's, it's a pretty, not, it's whatever. It's, there's a family tree. You just have to write it all. All the details are there. I'm sure well, it's the some. The family tree forked. It's, it's all good. Yeah. Um, so, the, and the last thing was, how did the girls come out so nice and pure and sweet where they're, um, Dad and yeah, he's and the, just this menace to society. I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. Maybe it had something to do with the mother. Who was knows? I don't know. Lovin's wife. It could be. It could be Lovin's wife was uh, was righteous. I have no idea. That's a good question. I don't know. It says it says that uh, Rebecca, she grew up like a rose between thorns, and I would say the same thing with. Um, with, uh, with Rachel and Leah, they were righteous and they were roses amongst thorns, amongst, you know, with a dad like Laban, you, you, great point, you would expect. Um, but no, they were, they had that spiritual, they had that spirituality within them. Anyway, all right, I'm, I'm going to run. Oh, yeah, uh, Susan, quickly. Okay, how did Yaakov's authenticity affect Lovin? He dis- oh, excellent question. Sorry if I glossed over that. By the fact that Lovin says... The fact that you're still a thief and I don't believe you that you were honest. In other words, the fact that he's like, I was an honest businessman, that didn't impress him. But he said, you know what, at the end of the day, let's make, let's make an agreement. Let's make a covenant. Let's make a deal. Let's make a peace treaty between me and you and let's get along. What, what, what caused him to respect Jacob, Yaakov, enough to want to get along? That, the Rebbe says, was the second half of what Yaakov said about his authenticity. And he expressed that authenticity. And when, that, when, 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 when Laban, when Lavan contemplated the authenticity, that's what said, you know what? He is the real deal. We don't see eye to eye, but he is the real deal. Let's, so it manifested itself in, in him wanting and, and, and initiating the overture of peace between them. Yeah. But it didn't change Lovin, did it? I don't know if it changed him. It influenced him to at least create a, a, a space for, for this guy to exist, which is a step. Instead of hostility, it created a space. All right, Karen, very quickly, because I have to okay. run. Yeah. Okay, very quickly, is this, so could you argue or, you know, support the idea that Yaakov endured all of this for 20 years because he, throughout those 20 years, he was in an authentic state. Yeah. And, and that's why he endure, endured it. It was when he was challenged that he then became the, you know, the, the individual design Jew because that's when the I and the me and the self, you know, protection. But for tw- who else would have done that for 20 years? Right. I, good point. He was authentic for 20 years. And when he got chased, his ego, whatever, it came out right. and said, I was on. But the authenticity was there. Good. Yeah. All right. Excellent final point. I got to run. I apologize. We'll see you guys. Take care all. Thank you so much. Pleasure, pleasure. Great to see you. Take care. Great to see everybody.